Welcome to the Something Admired podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Haber, and I look forward to opening the space to share inspiring conversations with those I admire. Join me weekly as we dive into inspiring leaders, teachers, and thinkers that have a story to tell. With a desire to connect, and more importantly, a craving to learn, this podcast was born. If there's one thing I'm certain about, it is that the world needs more stories being shared and admirable moments that embed in our memories. And with great pleasure, let us begin together. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode. Today marks almost two weeks of being here in France. We have been spending our days enjoying fresh cider by the coastline here in Brittany and eating like kings and queens for every meal and enjoying the long, late French evenings. There's been lots of babies and kids and extended family around, which has been so nice to yeah, be submersed in lots of different ages and personalities. We have also been picking up fresh milk at the Esquibio, the local dairy here in Odia, which is the most amazing little generational run dairy where there is raw milk on tap and the most amazing creme fraiche and little beautiful butter that they pour into these beautiful old molds and yeah it's just delicious and so inspiring to go every week pick up the local dairy um what else have we been doing we've been strolling around local markets there everything here is just yeah so fresh and there's a little harbor down where the market is and you can get just delicious oysters and mussels and yeah it's pretty pretty delicious so eating lots of crepes and picking buckets full of blackberries and apples where we're staying there's a whole apple orchard and everywhere you walk there is blackberries till you can see them no more there's just they're everywhere they coat every trail and you I was walking the other morning and as I was walking and going for my walk I couldn't not stop and pick all the blackberries there's so many and they taste like sunburst sugar um and then the other day we went octopus hunting so we caught a few different octopuses in the tide pools where it um, when it's low tide you can go down and hunt for pulpo they call it here and make delicious ceviche so it was it was so beautiful watching everyone down by the tide pools and hunting for octopus and then we brought it home and prepared it a few different ways we dried one out and made a big soup and then had another one where we pressure cooked it and made a delicious ceviche with butter and parsley and lots of lemon and garlic and then yeah lastly just spending lots of afternoon siestas in the warm countryside lots of warm winds days have been getting even hotter here in 
the countryside. So we've just been plunging in the ocean, which is so fresh and cold, but so nice after a day in the sun. So that is a little recap of what's been happening in my personal life and here over in Odian in France. And then we're here for another few weeks before we head back to California. But it's just so nice to, yeah, get a little glimpse on what this past few weeks has, where it has taken us. And this week, I feel like our conversation dives straight into travel and all things, yeah, I guess, I guess travel in the sense of a lot of different ways you can travel at the you know, foot of your home and at your fingertips. And so I felt like it was the perfect conversation for this week. And we are speaking with Nina Karnakowski, who is the author of two books, Make a Living Living, and her most recent book, Go Lightly. She is a teacher, mentor, and steward of the land. And today we spend our time together diving into all things conscious traveling, building a deeper relationship with your journal, and the foundation to making a living by simply living with intention and purpose. And I've looked up to Nina over the years, and after attending one of her ritual and writing workshops in person over in Byron, my whole world opened up to cultivating a relationship to my morning practice. I left that workshop feeling so rejuvenated with my relationship to my pen and waking up early in the morning and making a beautiful space that I can step into before I start my day. And Nina's story is really interesting in the sense that where her life has taken her and how it has inspired how she makes a living, which I find so humbling and so beautiful. And we dive into all of this today and more. And I feel like specifically when it comes to journaling, it's a beautiful practice to cultivate a daily connection to. So for me personally, when it comes to a morning practice, It does change over the months and over the seasons, but my backbone starts in my journal. So I feel like she is someone who leads by example, and that's what I really love about Nina. And also the way that nowadays, how we put our awareness and our intention into traveling. So Nina grew up um, over you know over many years working as a writer and traveling and that was really her job and when the pandemic hit and we'll speak more about this in our episode but I found it so beautiful in the ways that she now looks at a more ecological and economical perspective of how she travels more wisely and lightly. So you'll get a lot out of this episode if you're currently, well, I would say if you're a Sagittarius like me and loves to travel, or if you are someone who 
loves an adventure and loves to make it personal and lives by just, you know, that love for seeing the world at large. So if this is you, this episode is, yeah, a beautiful one. So here we go. Let's get into it and I will see you next week. Thanks for having me, Sophie. It's such an honor. Of course. You know, we just had a little catch up right before this for those listening. Nina's in Australia, specifically near Byron Bay area. And I am tuning in from California. So we're coastal queens at the moment. (laughs) Love technology connecting across the world. So good. Yeah, my goodness. Thanks to Zoom and all all the teleportation. (laughs) And one question I love to begin with, with every episode, is what's something you're currently admiring? I am admiring the way the light is playing in the beautiful palms and ferns outside my window this morning we had some really heavy rain yesterday and you know when the light is just so clean and pure and it kind of winks through the gaps in the trees of a morning that is happening this morning and I have spent the morning walking with a friend by the ocean and then coming back here and just admiring the quality of light I love that. (laughs) I really, really miss those winter mornings over there and just that crispness of the cold. And it's, it's so crystal clear when the sunlight comes, especially in winter, because it's like, there's no, um, there's nothing to blink out the sun. It's just so piercing. Yes. Yes. And I was just telling you before, we started recording that the mist was all coming off the ocean this morning as well because it's so cold and the ocean is nice and warm. So we had this billowing mist across the ocean with the sunshine. It's just magical. And I actually just the weekend doing the Zen home retreat. And of course, after hours and hours of just sitting and pretty much doing nothing and tuning in and being present. All of these things seem that much more vital and beautiful, which is, um, I guess, the payoff for the the sometimes painful experience of sitting. (laughs) It is. It is. I really second that. And there will be a little intro before this but I just want for anyone who's listening and who may not know you and would love to hear from your own voice who you are and what you're passionate about at this moment in time I'd love for you to introduce yourself to us and those listening Mm, thank you Sophie um well my name is Nina Karnikovsky I am an Australian woman with an Eastern European background. My um, 
father is half Polish, half Russian, and my mum is Hungarian. And I've lived in Australia for most of my life, um, bar a year here and there, one in France, one in India, and many travels in between. Um, I am a, by profession, I am a travel writer and an author and a teacher now as well. Um, I teach writing and creativity and I um, have authored two books. One is called Make a Living Living, Be Successful Doing What You Love and another one is called Go Lightly, um, How to Travel Without Hurting the Planet. So my passions really lie at this point in my life around, um, yeah, really walking more lightly on the earth and slowing everything down and paring back and really trying to, I guess, spread the message of how we might begin to do that because we are in a very precarious position on the planet right now. Um, I won't go too far down into the the doldrums this morning on this beautiful bright morning, but um, we are in a precarious position and we're, where I am in, in the Byron Shire, we had intense flooding, as many listeners will know, in March of this year. And um, our whole community and my household were severely impacted by that. And it was just another wake-up call, you know, kayaking down my street, watching our cars float away, um, seeing the water lapping at our front door, seeing friends' houses washed away, all of that. Uh, just a reminder that we need to protect this planet that we love so dearly and we are just not doing enough. We are not doing nearly enough and we've been talking a lot, we've been debating a lot and still there is just this general sense of um sometimes apathy, but sometimes just not knowing what to do, not knowing where to begin. And so I really try to focus on making the sort of changes that we need to make, making them enticing, making them accessible, making them um, fun and trying to lure people in that way, I guess. Mm. Yes. And with that, I feel like there's this, you know, with all that you've spoken about, everything from you know the recent floods to even um you know your own personal journey and the world around us and the current circumstances I feel like there's this sense of you know how do you create agency within you know your own community and at the world at large it can feel so disorienting and out of control so when it comes back to well how do I actually create a sense of agency just in you know my own world around me and environment maybe let's let's I had this question for a little bit later but I love that we're starting here because it's so important um how would one take agency on the fact of you know, the climate crisis and what's going on in our world today, even, you know, mainly main also within their personal lives, uh, taking agent, you know, taking a sense of, um, I think, direction and purpose, maybe, mm. yeah, walk us through some tools that could really help with kind of right away, taking that power into your own hands. Mm. I love 
thinking about that because I think a lot of us can, you know, it's the, it's the fight or flight response, right? We get this information that we're receiving every day, all day about what is happening in this planetary collapse and all of these things. We need to have that information, of course, but it can really freeze us. And it has frozen me at various points in time. And we can feel things like eco-anxiety that causes our actual brain to shut down. And then we cannot act. And a lot of people feel, a lot of people say to me, well, I just don't know where to begin. And I think, I'm not sure if you're aware of the concept of Ikigai, the Japanese concept of Ikigai. It's like the four interlocking circles of, I think it's, you know, find the thing that you're good at, that the world needs, um, that you can get paid for and that brings you joy. Mm -hmm. And I think that that same concept can apply with the climate crisis because we all have our own unique talents and abilities and we all have ways that we can offer service in this, in this fight. It is a fight. And it's not necessarily, I think people think of activism as this one thing. You know, you're marching and you're attending rallies or you're organizing or you're doing those sorts of things. That's what immediately comes to mind. But I think it's so many other things. If you're a storyteller, tell stories. If you, that would be that visual, written, any other way. Um, if you love to talk, create a podcast like yours, Sophie, where you can talk about these things and allow other people to listen to it. Um, I think you can start in small ways, just at home, as you say, educating yourself. There's so many fantastic resources out there now about how to um, you know, pair back in your own life and make the small changes at home and, you know, without sounding trite, all those little things do matter from the re- the way you recycle or the way that you're consuming or w- looking at what your clothes are made of or looking at your consumption habits or where your energy is coming from. All those things can be looked at. And, of course, I very much believe it shouldn't all be on us because um, I think it's important to make the individual changes, but also remember that um, it's really the biggest change that needs to happen is that the whole system needs to shift. So there's many other things you can do there as well from writing letters, you know, to local government and, um, you know, making sure you're voting the right people in and, you know, small and large, there are so many changes that you can make. And then also I've been really inspired recently by the people that I see who have, um, you know, switched paths in their careers to try to activate different parts of, of the problem. So for example, um, a girl that I know who used to be in the travel industry, she actually then went off and started a company where, whereby she actually teaches big companies, so big banks, big, um, it might even be, you know, big petrol companies, energy companies, things like that. She'll actually go in and educate that company on how to restructure themselves to lower their carbon emissions and to, you know, fix all those internal problems. And I thought, wow, what an amazing about turn because, of course, during the pandemic, 
she lost her job and then thought, hang on, what is this really all about? Let me go and see how I can be part of the solution. So I think there's just endless ways for us to go about this. And I think it really begins with everybody just having a good look at, at your life and, and who you are, pulling out those things that you are really good at and that you really love doing and almost donating those skills to this cause. And, you know, I think it's also, it also comes down to, for me, this idea of we protect what we love. And I think part of our role is also to just fall in love with the world again, with the natural world again, and allow ourselves the space and time to do that. So putting ourselves in nature more often, which sounds so almost ridiculous. I have found that to be such a powerful thing personally, just going outside and looking at trees, going on bushwalks, going camping, doing all these things to really fuel that desire to protect this beautiful world that we live in. Mm, And you do it so beautifully. I think when I discovered you, I think it was on Instagram so many years ago. It must have been. I'm like, nowadays, that's where you really discover. Or might have even been a podcast. And I remember speaking to a friend and thinking about, you know, when your book came out, Make a Living Living, I was just, I was in awe. Because at the time, my own sense of direction and my own purpose was also evolving and changing. And there was um, this yeah, this inner pull of, you know, what I had grown up to do and known and what I was working, the field I was working in, I was a model for many years and, and this internal dialogue of, well, how do I actually show up in a way where I'm working with, um, with the planet and not continually adding to the disruption. And, you know, there's so much controversy in that industry And when I picked up your book and a friend and I were talking about it, I thought, my God, she has the answer to it all. And how do you make a living living? So with that in mind, I know like I'm so interested in the two sides of the coin of traveling and writing. I think for me, I... I love traveling. Traveling to me is such a deep-seated passion as well as writing. And I'm so curious for you, how did those both evolve and which it's almost like the chicken or the egg, like which one evolved first or did they coincide together? And how did you make a living living? Or, you know, how did that baby, you know, your first love really evolve naturally into the world? Mm, you see, Sophie, this is this is how we find one another. It's through these passions, these shared passions. And I I truly love that about the modern world is that it is a lot easier to find kindred spirits. Um, so for all the negative things we might say about social media, it really does have that beautiful side effect. Um, so my my story with the traveling and the writing, I mean. I have always been a writer ever since I was a kid. I just, I loved 
journaling. I'm a very um, introspective person by nature. And I was as a kid, I was very shy. I spent a lot of time sort of tucked away writing in my little journals. Um, and that just kind of continued all throughout my schooling. And I, I didn't travel much as a kid. Some people seem to think because I then became a travel writer and was traveling really prolifically that I had that sort of upbringing, but I really didn't. Um, my family, you know, we would go on an occasional uh you know, local trips, maybe once a year or once every two years, but it was relatively sedentary. So I think perhaps all the rampant travel was almost a reaction to that because I had such a solid upbringing. You know, we never moved house. My parents are still in the same house that they were always in. So I think I just, it was just desirous of this wild free life that I that I hadn't really experienced it was beautiful and it was very solid but it didn't have that so um I bet then started out as a um as a journalist after I did a degree in journalism and um international studies and a year of that I spent studying in France and then when I came out I um, eventually after a lot of begging and mishaps trying to get jobs I um, I got a job as a junior writer at a big publishing company uh, here in Australia, which um, was, yeah, it felt like the, the thing that I had really wanted to happen. And, of course, then after you've been doing it for a number of years, you start to get dissatisfied, even if it was the thing that you were dreaming of all that time. So I was writing a lot of, um, you know, lifestyle features and columns and those sorts of things for a variety of different lifestyle magazines. And then um, a role came up on the travel team after about um, five years doing that, just when I was really starting to feel that itchiness. And, um, of course, I did whatever I could do to secure that position because I also had really developed a love of travel by then. I think that year living in France when I was studying just, you know, I did what every typical Australian does and you go overseas for the first time and while I was there I just wanted to see as much as possible and I think that summer I travelled to something like 12 different countries in three months or something and then after that, um, yeah, I, so I got this job as a travel writer and quite soon after so was in-house travel writer at one of the big newspapers here in Australia, the Sydney Morning Herald. And uh, quite soon after that, my husband got a job art directing the Indian version of GQ through a very strange turn of events. And so we went to go and live in Mumbai in India for a year. And uh, the plan was to sort of stay there for forever and ever and move around and um, do that. But then his mum got really ill, so we moved home. But during that year, I was um, writing stories about India and Nepal and Sri Lanka, and I just absolutely fell in love with those. Um, you know, I guess for an Australian audience, sometimes the lesser known parts of the world. And when I came back from that year, because I was still writing um, from afar for the the Australian paper, um, that really kind of became my niche. And so I would go to 
Mongolia or Namibia or uh, Ethiopia. Um, I would go to Papua New Guinea, all these places, Samoa, all these places that other writers didn't really want to go to necessarily, which seemed crazy to me, but I really loved these off the beaten track places. I like the empty parts of the world. I'm really attracted to those places and just seeing lives that are so different than our own um, and having that real sense of adventure in those places. And um, so I did that for many years and all that time obviously was writing and telling telling travel stories through the newspaper but also magazines and things like that. And then um, I was always asked through that period of time, people would always ask, you know, via social media and things like that, okay, so travel writer, how on earth do you become a travel writer? How can I become a travel writer? And I would always respond by sort of saying well it's both easier than you think and also a lot harder than you might think because of course social media portrays this thing that you know everything is simple and it just falls into our laps and it's just one glorious moment after the other which is of course not the truth we all know that um but I did start to think I have often thought that about other people so I had often looked on social media and thought oh that amazing potter how on earth did they become that? How did they build their business? How much money did it take to become that? Or, um, you know, I have um, somebody who I know who is a beautiful wood sculptor. How on earth does that become your job? How do you make money from that? So really the question that I was being asked, I then kind of pushed out as a mirror to the rest of the people that I admired. And um, that is how the idea for my first book came around. So Make a Living Living begins with my story and the story of how I became a travel writer and that sort of thing. But then really it focuses on these 26 amazing individuals from around the world who have made a living doing everything from um, building tiny homes in Japan to, um, you know, uh, a knitter who is working with women in Peru, but also she's a New Zealander. So obviously knitting was a big part of her life there. Um, a tea company founder, artists, photographers, filmmakers, all those people that you just wonder how people could actually make jobs out of these things. And so I really asked all those questions, you know, how I made sure everybody didn't come from privilege. I found out how they actually made this work as a career, how long it took them to get going. Did they have side hustles? And I asked them for their advice because ultimately I wanted this book to be a manual for people who were in those situations, um, which so many of us find ourselves in. And I think in the modern world, we find ourselves in in our lives, many times in our lives where we're at a crossroads, we don't enjoy what we're doing, we could do something else, but the opportunities are just so vast. How do we choose one? How do we know what to do? So the book functions as a manual for them. And then there's also exercises through it to try to help people tap into their inner creativity and really find out what they want to do. Mm, I love that. And did you find that in the process of speaking with and I guess dissecting each of these 
you know, artisans' stories and journeys, was there a universal thread between each of them that you felt like really was cohesive? Yes, many, many. I think it's so fascinating to me and has always fascinated me through interviewing humans is that we all essentially have the same issues and we have the same things that drive us. And that's what I think is just so beautiful about being human. And I really noticed it in this book. You know, everybody in the book, I asked about sacrifice. I asked everybody about sacrifice. So, you know, what did you have to give up in order to become a florist or a Moroccan Riyadh owner or a weaver? What did you have to sacrifice? And ultimately, it's the things that you would imagine. I had to sacrifice a fair amount of income. I had to sacrifice a lot of time because these things require a big time investment. I had to require certain social things. Um, But ultimately, those things are not sacrifices in in the grand scheme of things. The ultimate sacrifice is giving up your passion and the ultimate sacrifice is giving up on the opportunity to spend this one wild and precious life, to steal a line from Mary Oliver, to spend this one wild and precious life doing, you know, walking as if we're walking through it as if we're sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. You know, we only have one shot at this. So there was that thread of just like, yes, I had to do these various things. I had to work 16 hours a day. I had to work a second job. I had to, um, you know, not go to parties for three years or whatever it was. But ultimately I am so fulfilled because I am doing this thing that I just adore. And that is absolutely, that echoed my own sentiment as a travel writer because I people assume travel writing, oh, it's so dreamy and all of these things. But it does take a lot of you. You're not around home very much at all. You don't earn loads of money. You are very much always kind of, at the whim of whatever the next assignment is. And I happened to love that for many, many years. I really loved living that way. But for a lot of people, and for me too, it was a sacrifice. So I think it's never without that sacrifice. And also the other big thread that went through this book was this idea of, because I also asked everybody, so how, what is your main piece of advice to the banker out there who is completely dissatisfied with their seven-day-a-week, you know, 12-hour-a-day job, what's your advice to them to do what they love? And they all said, just do what you want to do, which is so simple, but honestly, just doing the thing will teach you the thing. So just to break that down because it sounds so simple is instead of as so many of us do sitting there complaining and saying, Oh my gosh, but you know, my true calling is just to be a writer. But then who of us actually goes and, you know, squirrels away the savings for a while so they can quit the job and sit down and write the book every day tenaciously 
so that you can make that a reality. This is what everybody in the book did, you know. Mm-hmm. There's like the knitter. She said, I didn't know how to knit. I went on to YouTube. I taught myself how to knit. I knit all day, every day until I knew how to do it and slowly, slowly built up from there and taught myself how to run a business, did all the online business courses, all of those things. So much about it is just taking the leap and really just putting yourself in that position rather than just thinking about it. Yeah. And just like you said as well, it's actually doing it, taking an initiative. And I think there's also that phrase that's like, you don't need to be an expert to just start and to, you know, practice by practicing your craft. I forget who it was. I I was speaking with someone and he was mentioning it was about writing actually. And it was, you know, if you're a blacksmith, you constantly have to, you know, polish your knives or, or, you know, the welding is clean off the tools and, you know, dusting off the cobwebs and building a practice that continuously feeds into that longer vision. And I always, I remind myself, but I also even friends or those around me, it's, you know, you don't have to be perfect. You know, I think there is this perfectionism. I know for me, sometimes I'll never start something because it has to be perfect and it has to be exactly what I envision rather than letting it naturally evolve and knowing that like I'm chipping away at the evolution of it. And so I'd love to hear from you on building up your toolbox, but also creating space for that time every single day to tap into yourself and even for someone who has no idea what it is their calling is or what their purpose is or you know they just have something that they really want to do or do differently or they're working a job they feel stagnant in and they really want to have a true purpose in themselves and are constantly seeking that outward journey I find that you know the most beautiful place to start is that inward reflection on if I take a little bit of time each day for myself, that inner intuition will come and that knowing of where the next direction is will come. And so I'm curious as to how you personally go about, you know, your daily practice of showing up for yourself. I know there's that, that term, what your morning ritual is, but in a sense, you know, do you have bookends to your day? Do you have a way that you rise and the way that you rest and the way that, you know, you show up for the world and yourself at the same time and build the momentum for your purpose? Yes. Yeah, I do. And I think that it is very important And I mentor a lot of writers and this is one of the main things that I say to them is that consistency of showing up and, you know, and this is why mentors are really helpful because a lot of it is accountability. Now I happen to personally be somebody who I think because of the way that I was brought up, I am good at being accountable to myself because I'm a little bit of a, dictated to myself for um for better or worse maybe usually worse but um yes I 
a lot of my friends laugh because, you know, I'm very, I do like to stick to the schedule. And um, I think it's maybe because of also all of those years of travel, I kind of had to build that because my life was so loose and fluid. And I'm a Taurian, you know, I like stability and like things to be just so. Um, So that was, I guess, also my way of feeling like I had some stability during that time. So I developed um, a lot of, of practices around that to keep me grounded and to keep me feeling like I was at home wherever I was in the world and also to keep my creative fire burning because it does require constant vigilance. It really does. Um, so I, when I wake up, the first thing I do after usually having some sort of lovely beverage, um, trying to currently wean myself off coffee, <laughs> but um, waking up and just writing, free writing for 20 minutes, sometimes a little bit longer, sometimes less, but just that free writing, I have found that for me to be vastly superior to any other practice. And trust me, I have tried pretty much all of them. Um, from therapy, tea practice to meditation to movement practices, everything. Um, I still incorporate a lot of those things in as well. But that first port of call is always the empty page. I just think emptying the contents of the brain, specifically at that time of the morning when nothing else, there's no other input, right? So it's creating before we consume anything. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be beautiful. It can be messy. It can be awful. A lot of the time mine um, is just complaining, <laughs> and what I find that it does is that it it's a purge. It just gets it out. It gets all that frustration out. It gets, sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes I'm incredibly inspired and it just feels that. Um, but, but with the frustration or anger or sadness, I feel that it just comes out of you and it's released before you begin the day. Um, and it also does kind of, I think, it's almost like we have a bandwidth, right? Our brain, we have bandwidth. It clears some of that away so that I can do better writing when it comes to my actual paid job of writing stories because I've cleared away some of that mental clutter. And then, you know, I, I often will sit in meditation for a period of time after that. And there's always, as I say, some sort of tea or coffee involved in that. And then, movement is a huge thing for me so I'm a big walker I love walking um I have a big dog who requires a lot of walking so we do beach walks and sometimes swimming uh, or I also love to run um I have a yoga practice all sorts of things but just whatever um it takes to get the body moving. I just feel like I can't really get my brain working without that. And I think a lot of us are similar, even if we might not enjoy it. I think that physical movement um, is really important. And actually Murakami wrote a very beautiful book called What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. And it's just about his running practice and running as a creative practice and about how 
that rhythm of running and breathing that is involved in that and how that has incorporated into his incredible writing. And there's just so, so much to be said about that. So much investigation has gone into that over time. And also if, you know, we were talking before about putting yourself in the way of the natural world I think there's no better way than getting out or walking or running or going into the ocean in the morning because you're there, you're present with it all. Um, and I'm really trying to be more present with it and trying not to listen to too many things at the same time or have too many phone conversations while I'm doing it. Really just trying to do one thing at a time, being fully present for it. Um, so really, I think that all really feeds into the creativity and the writing throughout the day. Um, but then it's also like there's creativity in everything. You know, I think about this a lot, the way that you tend to your home, the way that you make a cup of coffee, the way that you cook a meal, the way that you conduct a conversation with a friend, the way that you dress yourself, you know, it can all be it can all be creative practice. It can all be actually an ultimate act of self-expression if we're present and mindful of it. And I think that really a lot of um, the things that we talk about in sort of morning routines and things could almost just be thrown out the door if we thought about things like that just everything that you want to do, doing it with complete presence and that just being the practice. And then everything becomes a practice in mindfulness. It's so true. And I always think of that when I'm, you know, doing a podcast or I'm even, you know, out picking flowers. It's, it is like every act can be a ritual and every little moment can be infusing presence because really at the end of the day each of those rituals and routines are just to connect back into source and you know that that place of resourcing oneself um, and I love that you mentioned that book because it was so funny I was just looking for um, I wanted to tell you about a book I just heard. I spoke with Alex L yesterday and she has that, the walking community where they started um, walking daily. And there's that woman, have you heard of Libby, what's her name? Libby Delana. Um, mm. She wrote the book, Do Walk. And she's oh. been walking every day for 10 years. And I'll send it to you. It is, I'm just starting to listen to it as I'm walking and it's amazing. It's this, and I love that you mentioned the running and I'm like, okay, I'm going to start with walking. Then I'm going to get to running. Then I'm <laughs> starting, you know, crawl, walk, run. But yes. I love that, you know, even that something so simple can be a practice that is, because it was interesting. She was saying she, she started with, Alex was saying she started with 30 days. She said, I'm going to do a walk daily, think, you know, a walk daily for 30 days and the consistency and see how that feels. And she's been going for, I think it was a year now. It's been about a year and every day she's been walking and, and that 
satiation it gives her and the mental clarity and um it's amazing it is and yes and I love that idea also of you know she's really looking at it in that sense of it being a practice and and you with the picking of the flowers like Mm. everything can be transformed even the most mundane act through bringing that more artistic I look at it as an artistic mindset right and Thich Nhat Hanh used to talk about this a lot about even you know just brushing the teeth to brush the teeth and just washing the dishes when you're washing the dishes not trying to add all these things onto it to kind of wish it away but being fully present with it and I think about that a lot. You know, I teach um, I teach a concept called writing's ritual, which is about doing those morning pages. And I'm always trying to say that because a lot of people are quite resistant to that, you know, oh, but I don't have 20 minutes and I don't want to do it every day or they do want to do it, but some, they can't even nail down what is stopping them. And so I'm always thinking about, how do you entice yourself into these things? How do you entice yourself into the walking or the running or the writing? And so when it comes to writing, I try to make it as sumptuous and delicious as possible. So I want to do it. So I'm lighting the incense, lighting a candle, putting on some music, bringing the tea or the coffee into it, really creating that space, taking a few breaths before I begin making it a ritual, making it just this most luscious moment. And we can do that with absolutely everything. You know, maybe it is more difficult if there's three children running around or if you've got a really intense job to get to, but I'll bet that there is a way to do that. You know, I have friend, I have a dear friend who um, is a deeply spiritual person and when she had her first child, she said, oh, my gosh, because I said, you know, how are you going with all of your morning practices? And she said, my practice has become my son. Mm. All of it has gone away and I am just, my practice is being present with him. And it is so much more beautiful when I am present with him and when I'm playing with him and really thinking how miraculous it is that I get to play with this being that came out of me as opposed to just, wishing it away or being bored or wanting to be on the phone or trying to get away from it. We're always running away from these things, even the things that we want the the most, right? And it's so interesting when it comes to creative practices because, you know, every student that I teach that says, oh, there's this resistance, but I really want it. And there's always that struggle. So that exists. How do we bring ourselves closer And my solution to that is just through artistry and making it more enticing for ourselves. And it's like courting, it's courting, you know, it's that old school term of courting creativity. It's like digging that little fishing lure into the practice. And, you know, some days you get the big kahuna and it's like, oh my God, that is exactly what I wanted. But also some days it's like the basics are beautiful. And that is exactly what I needed the most. I remember for me personally, when I first started making my bed, it was like, okay, 
that is enough. And that is the most beautiful. I'm going to do it with so much intention and mm. make the bed. And that is where I begin. You know, that was my morning practice for so long was just making the bed. And it felt like the rest of my day followed from setting myself up after that practice. And it was, you know, it's so simple. And I, I do believe that those practices can really be so simple. Um, and one yeah. question I had tailoring on that, which I feel like will kind of go in our, our next direction, which will probably be our last subject, but ways to travel at your fingertips, because, you know, I think the past few years, what it's taught us is to, you know, find that beautiful act of traveling within the realms of your home and your home body mm. and as the world is opening up and people are traveling again and there is this you know I guess desire to go back to the way life was which quotation mm. marks I do also believe there's this beauty in finding the you know I guess ways we can travel at the tips of our fingertips. Um, like I know for me personally, I love a good book is like traveling on an adventure. And so I'd love to hear from you, you know, ways that you travel lightly, mm -hmm. um, which is your second book. And also how that is, how that has inspired you in new ways of traveling. Mm, yes. Well, it's so important to be thinking about this now. Um, I mean, the reason that I wrote Go Lightly was actually before the pandemic hit, probably about six months before I went to the Arctic. I went there on an assignment and long story short, I saw the polar bears because I was staying in the polar bear capital of the world. 900 polar bears moved through this town over summer and there's only 800 human residents there so it was the most incredible place but learning about the plight of the polar bears there seeing them up so close I was moved to tears just seeing them and these were healthy polar bears that I was seeing but hearing about what is happening to those populations because of the climate crisis and the fact that the bears are helpless you know, they can't go out and reduce emissions, but we can. And so I went home from that trip and I wrote to my editors and said, I need some time off. I was really thinking, seems strange that I hadn't thought that much about it before, but I really hadn't. I guess I was just so in love with the world and seeing it that I was quite happily traveling across the other side of the world 10, 12 times a year and not really giving it too much thought. But I at that moment, it was my sort of make or break moment. And I took a few months to really think about what am I doing? What are my emissions? They were out of control because of all those flights mainly. Um, and how do I continue doing this vital and life-affirming thing that I love so very much? How can I do that? But how can I do it in a way that doesn't destroy the very thing that I'm going to see? And I think so many of us are thinking that way now. We love the world. We're desperate for it. When you look at Instagram at the moment, everybody's just rampantly traveling because we've been missing it so much. And that's understandable. But also we're living in a new world now. We need to do things differently. So 
that period of time was me figuring that out. I wrote to my publisher. I said, I really can't find a resource on this. I would like to write one. And so I did that. And I was trying to ultimately come from that standpoint of we want to continue doing this. How do we do it in a better way? How do we do it in a way that remains fun and enticing and and all that sort of thing? And one of the main points that came out through that book, and I interviewed a lot of, um, you know, big names in the sustainable travel realm and also, you know, the, the book is filled with kind of ideas for what I call them light adventures, you know, light footprint adventures and tips for how you can do this. Um, but really what it comes down to is travelling less. You know, flying is the biggest source of emissions in terms of travel. So we need to just do less of it. It doesn't mean we can never do it, but there is only 6% of the world's population who's ever set foot on a plane, 6%. And when you think of how big those emissions are, that only 6% of us are emitting, the first thing we can do is just do less of that. and really that means that we're going to be staying in places for longer and spreading our tourism dollars further when we're in the destination. And really, again, it comes back to presence and soaking up that experience, really soaking it up and and enjoying it and being much more conscious about where do we spend our money? Are they locally owned businesses and hotels and restaurants and all those sorts of things? Um, quite aside from the myriad other things that we can do um, when it comes to, you know, no single-use plastic, trying to avoid single-use plastics and all those other sorts of things. Those are the sort of two main things, are just doing less travel and also trying to spend your travel dollars in local communities and then because we're going to be traveling less this is bringing me back in a very long-winded way to your question um we can i think then also just travel closer to home a lot of the time and that has been a journey that i have been on for the last few years and really it has been painful in many ways because i have missed the world sometimes in a way that's almost terrifying, the feeling of just that longing for it. But then also thinking about, so what am I craving? Is it a lot of the time I, you know, I'm craving some sort of escapism. So can I create that in my own life? Um, can I, for example, the Zen retreat that I did that I mentioned on the weekend, you know, that was just, we have a little studio in the back garden and I tucked myself away in there and I could have been on a mountaintop in Tibet for, the, for those days because it just felt like I was so far away in my head. Um, I've also been really trying to come into deeper relationship with this country that I never really felt that I belonged to, I guess maybe because of my heritage and, you know, that desire to always be moving around was my way of sort of trying to find my place in the world but this is this is the land I was born on and really trying to come to understand it and I think a lot of us have had that reckoning lately um, through the pandemic of coming to really love the places on which we stand understanding them getting to know them more um, and you know I've been trying to do a lot more kind of camping trips and small adventures to, to places nearby to really 
um, get all those joys of travel closer to home. Um, and so, for example, in a couple of days, I'm going to Tasmania and I'm going to be doing this beautiful walk with an Indigenous-owned and led company and we're staying in an old lighthouse keeper's cottage and it's going to be um, really the kind of experience that I'm talking about in the book, which is that, um, you know, looking at where our travel dollars are going, trying to stay a bit closer to home, um, and really focusing on those elements so that there is a planet still left to see in a couple of decades. Mm. Well, I'm so proud of you, Nina, because really it's so beautiful to watch someone who has built a career off of navigating the world at large and then coming full circle and really honoring the place of how do we do this differently, but also still nourishing that desire to see the world at large and experience life to the fullest in the sense of new senses and adventure and, you know, taking all that in and it is totally possible. And I love that you really kind of articulate that in a way through your writing and through your teaching and the adventures that you go on. Mm, thank you. Very beautiful words, Sophie. And I, I think that it's it's a journey that, yeah, a lot of us have been on. And I think that it's also, to your point earlier, things like what we're reading, the kind of films that we're watching. I find a lot of, um, a lot of inspiration and almost mind travel that like coming back to the secret life of Walter Mitty or um, Wild, those sorts of films where you really get filled up by that sense of adventure. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't replace it, but it does kind of quell it so that we might do less, again, do less. It's not stopping it. It's just like not needing to go quite so often. And, and really also I think it's like, it's like with love, you know, you meet somebody and the longer you need to kind of wait for them to see them again, the deeper the desire gets. I think we can think about travel that way now too. So if we're planning a trip, one trip a year, say, we're really going to be dreaming of that trip and reading books about that place and listening to music from that place and kind of um, as you, I think the word you used before, it wasn't wooing, but it was something like that where you're kind of, almost, you know, calling that place towards you and fostering that desire so that by the time you get there, you really deeply understand it and you're going to appreciate it um, so much more. Exactly. And I also want to lastly just say as well, there's that idea of, you know, I know for me, when I, right before traveling back home here to visit my family, I really wanted I'm a Sagittarius. So I'm like, okay, I want to go here and here and here. And, and just wanting to just feed that desire. And one, two things that I really love to do is a, I, I love to cook. And so find a recipe according to the country that I love and play the music, you know, playing, just set the tone. So, you know, whether I want to go to Italy, I'll play some really beautiful Italian music and I'll cook a just delicious pasta and, you know, make the passata and light the candles and have a beautiful, you know, by myself 
an Italian book or watch a movie and, you know, really set the tone as if I am really experiencing the culture and, um, or take myself out to dinner and, you know, just experience what it's like to truly, um, live and breathe that outside experience. So it Mm. is an exciting adventure. Oh, I love that. That's such a beautiful, strong image of you in the kitchen and like what a delightful way to live again. It's like that artistry of living and really bringing creativity to every moment, bringing creativity to what is travel. It's not just this rampant consumption, which is, I think, what we have been doing, this idea of, you know, that how, when people are like, I've done Italy, I've done Croatia, this, that phrase that just always makes me think, ooh, um, it's, it's more like, we're not think, trying not to think that way anymore. It's more like the opposite of like, I'm marinating in this place. I'm developing a relationship with it and thinking really as citizens then rather than consumers, you know, you're trying to get yourself into the mindset of like, what is it like to be an Italian? And how do I get deeper into that culture before I even arrive? And then how much richer your experience will be because you understand it on that level. You're going to probably interact with more locals. You're going to be seeking out those more local experiences, which just has that natural knock-on effect of you. Because also there's this idea of reciprocity, right? How are we giving back to these places that give so much to us which is not a concept that I think many of us necessarily were thinking about, but we are thinking about it now. How do we give back? And a lot of that is just purely through interacting more deeply, you know, and and interacting with people from that place rather than just kind of stepping back and consuming. So I think that's a really um, fantastic side effect of looking at travel that way too. Exactly. And even just like a dance class, you know, at the farmer's market, there was an Irish dancer and she was teaching kids how to do the Irish jig. And I'm like, oh my, you know, there's salsa dancing, there's museums, there's so many different mediums that you can explore learning a new language. Um, this way and notion of travel. I can go so deep down this topic because I love it so much. Um, But I know I will have you back on, Nina, because I feel like this is just an open Pandora's box of so many different topics we can go down. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think these are the fundamentals of who we are, right? travelers, writers, creatives, that's all of us really. So um, I look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Likewise. And thank you again for being here and sharing this time and space with all of us. And those listening, I will add all of Nina's books and references that we spoke on so you can follow along and learn more about what she has to offer. And yeah, again, thank you so much, Nina. Oh, thank you, Sophie. That was delightful.
so excited to announce our first Something Admired sponsor. Please welcome Organic India. In the 1990s, Organic India's founder began their journey of nourishing a deeper relationship with India. They soon witnessed the widespread devastation caused by the attempts to industrialize India's agriculture. While simultaneously submersed in the modernization of sacred lands, they came across the holy basil, also known as Tulsi, and its healing properties. The vision of truly bringing the plants to the people started to manifest through a deep wish to bring these health-supporting herbs to the world by partnering with farmers to recover traditional agricultural wisdom, regenerate widespread areas, and establish a new business model based on responsible economic, social, and environmental principles and fair trade-based farmer partnerships. Over the years of working with Ayurvedic and Western physicians, they learned of herbs and formulas that support a healthy response to environmental and physical stress. Today, the result of that vision has been the economic and cultural revitalization of rural farm countries with 3,000 farm partnerships, as well as community health care, education, and inclusive social change for women. They are unwaveringly committed to elevating environmental stewardship beyond sustainable, incorporating bioregenerative farming practices that improve the environment with every crop cycle. Organic India is proudly B Corp certified, meaning the company meets the highest standards of social and environmental performance, public transparency, and accountability to balance profit and purpose. I am so grateful to stand with and behind a business that is rooted in this integrity and truly passionate about supporting culture, agriculture, ancient herbs, and communities. For years now, I've been using their products and firstly, the Tulsi Sweet Rose Tea, which is one of my favorites, specifically for the soothing and calming benefits of rose and chamomile, two of my favorite herbs, hands down, and the adoptogenic Tulsi, which supports a healthy nervous system and stress response. In the summers, which we are currently living, I will make an iced tea version, and this in the winters, I love it just as a hot tea next to the fire. It's cozy and so sweet and delicious. Um, another product that I swear by of theirs, I travel with it, I use it daily, is their psyllium husk, which you can buy in capsule form or you can buy in the loose form, which helps with balancing hormones, removing excess toxins from the liver, and helps improve overall digestion. They have an array of amazing herbs and teas and powders, supplements, everything is organic, sustainably brought to you, and that is something I am actively seeking whenever I'm purchasing specifically a tea or a supplement. They were so generous to offer 20% off any 
purchase if you use the code something admired that is all caps something admired at checkout and again i'm so grateful to have organic india in my life personally and here on the podcast to share this with my community so enjoy and i can't wait to hear where these plants take you on your journeys